This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you're not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, it's me and my only friends, which includes, and it's not limited to, my boy, Tortu! I don't have my, uh, my maracas. Don't worry, I got you. What, what are you doing, man? The bit had... A very timely, died. natural death. Yeah. Let it fucking die. Mm-hmm. You know, we came you, back. You guys were here. You know, I just had to do it. I wait, couldn't, I couldn't help. Question. What number episode is this? 325. Does this count as a new season, season because I was of thinking the week about off? That. You know, I was thinking about that. Uh, we also lost a cast member. We did. Well, wow, we many, lost the many cast, cast members yeah, throughout. He's still RIP. Only one that matters is Chauncey. Wow. Yeah, he left Shout us a letter. Shout out to Melissa. <laughs> He says, uh, to only friends fam. I don't know where you got such good handwriting, but <laughs> impeccable. Thank you for letting me be your co-host for a while. Although I didn't get to contribute as much as I would have liked. I got plenty of neck scratches and kisses along the way. I'll be watching from England. XOXO. Gossip girl. No chance. <laughs> Michelle would have loved that. I would my heart, absolutely love that. My heart that. goes on. Oh, Chauncey. Dun, dun, dun. Can we get no. the music? No, no, no. Stop no. trying to get us demonetized. Yeah. That, don't worry. His, his whistling out of tune is not going to get us demonetized. We like literally the, just lost half of our viewership. Have you seen like the recording of like the flute where it's really bad? That's, yeah. what, that, that's what that is. Yeah, that is, that is what that is. We saw a phone number too, but it was just guapos. <laughs> I thought Chauncey left us his personal number, but he didn't. I can't believe you didn't fucking call it on air. I'm so bad about that. That would have been so great. Look just the, see fucking guapos phone. There, there's a, <laughs> Look at the card. It's a cat. It is a cat. It's Look, a, it's a cat. It's not a, an orange cat. No, it's a tuxedo cat. Mm. It is a tuxedo cat. There's a small homage to, uh, whoa, to Chauncey whoa, over here. I didn't here. even see that. Oh, I yeah. saw it. Who, did Marley make that? Yeah. Well, Chauncey made it, but yeah. He's, Chauncey made he it. He will be with us mm-hmm. forever. Wow. Yeah. I'm in there. In spirit. I feel so honored to be on that. <laughs> oh, man. Look, there's only three, there's only four pictures. There is only four pictures. Are you randomly going to put that picture in your lap throughout the podcast? No. No. You know, uh, I, I will miss Chauncey. I will not miss my face being itchy the entire fucking time I do this show. <laughs> he lurched cats? No, he just shed so does. much. Yeah. It was just it hair. Every time you. I sit in this chair, like the back of me is just covered in hair. Yeah. Also, yeah. for the new season, if I do have these shorts, you guys can blame the co-host. Uh, all right, look, psychic, I, thought, I thought that those shorts would cover your balls. <laughs> they do. Pretty close. I was, Wait, it depends, on, it depends on the angling, you know? Spread those legs. Let's do a test. No, I don't Landon test walked it. upstairs. Well, and Berkey ready said, with the sensor. And Berkey said, where's your belly button? <laughs> <laughs> I was convinced he was wearing them above his waist. Mm-hmm. I, saw the, I saw the short size when uh, he gave them to me, and I saw an M for medium. I was like, oh, this is going to go over so well. <laughs> I mean, they're goal shorts, man. You know, I Work like your way them. Into them. What are you supposed to fucking lose four inches or something on your on, height? On his waist, not a no. <laughs> that's not how medium, large, and XL work. They don't make them according to length. They make them according size. to waist. Yeah, I've been trying to put. It's crazy. I've been trying to put weight on, but I've they're stayed not that at much the same than mine. weight. Yeah, but yes. I'm taller than you. Yes, they are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> You started wearing shorts more often. I've been seeing it. That's because he's got those olive legs, baby. I know. I'm I not wear, blaming wear, him. You know when I wear shorts? When it's 115 outside. <laughs> You've been starting shorts. to wear shorts more often. Well, mm-hmm. it is now middle of July. It yeah. is hot. End of July. It is hot in these streets. It's It's been rough. I got to tell you. I, I went to to, to, uh, to Daytona for a week. Thinking, yeah, you did. Thinking I'd get a break from the heat. And I got to tell you, you went to Florida to get a break from the heat. I got to tell you, 100 with 100% humidity is not much different than 115 with no humidity. It's no. true. It's worse. But second for 60K is fine. Second for 60K <laughs> was nice. Well, 53. But yeah. Um, more importantly, letting, not letting, I didn't let him do anything. He did it himself. But <laughs> having a student win the whole thing for his biggest lifetime score, 80K. Amazing. Priceless. Yeah. You are the Shout ultimate out. bridesmaid. Charlie. Yeah. I mean, we knew how this was going to end. 
Did, no. You were never going to win. Never yeah, going to win. Never. No chance. <laughs> I need this narrative to fucking die if our swap well, is going to be on, man. I can't take the second places. You need to win a tournament. The difference between 53 and 86? Great news was. At 500? Great news was I didn't land and have any of this one. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We free rolled the event and I was like, you know what? No, not not this one, big guy. <laughs> this one's all me. Actually, you didn't even uh, say anything. Yeah, I did. That was when you talked. We were talking about five ten. Oh, uh, same thing. They both apply. Yeah, technically, five, not really. He let, he let you know when he was forehanded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we got when we got to the final table, chip leader had forty bigs. I had twenty six and was fourth in chips. So it was like a, a a big cluster. But then I won like three of the first six hands. I'm not gonna lie. I was watching that stream and it looked like they were. It was designed for you to win. I know. It really did. I, yeah. I had such good Aces, distribution Ace early. King, Ace yeah. 10 versus Ace 9. Board comes Ace 9, 3. Turn 10. Somehow goes check, check, check on flop. flop. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh, okay. Scam. See ya. I, I yeah. might have jinxed you. I, I, I pulled it. I was in San Diego and just like literally walking around Coronado and I, I knew it was on. I'm like, oh, let me pull it up, see how he's doing. And I pulled it up directly as you get it in when you were three handed and you got it in with ace king versus king seven. Oh yeah and, yeah versus uh, alex yeah alex and he made a straight i think maybe yeah he did make yeah. a straight did. Mm -hmm. uh, i was like oh i was like relax. oh he's still in all right i'll check back in he later. won an ace five ver ace seven versus queens yeah yeah what are you gonna do you gotta win some of those i mean yeah that's uh, how you get second that, that the man here's here's the thing look like obviously <laughs> you can't put an emphasis on like what good or bad things happened uh because it's just you know the deck being the deck and whatever happens happens but um, you know, that wasn't even like corrective variance. That man had beat me sevens versus my aces. He would have just been out. I would have had an overwhelming chip lead and we may never have looked back. So it's like me winning with the ace seven versus queens. Yeah, it was worth some money at that point. But, you know, I wouldn't have had 12 blinds had I uh, not gotten clipped to begin with. Yeah, that's uh, that's the nature of tournament variance. But the <clears throat> the thing is, is that with nine left, I thought, OK, good chance I finished top three here. Then I ran hot the first orbit, and I was like, I'm going to fucking win this thing for sure. I have 60 big blinds. These guys are in trouble. Then we got down to five-handed after I lost uh, the aces versus sevens and then a couple others leaving me with 12 bigs, and I was like, I'm probably going to get fourth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to wait this man out right here. Yeah, um, it's pretty funny. Like, the start of day two when you had a bunch and then like Tom started texting you and he's like, I started this day with like 300 K and Matt had nothing. And then Matt runs it up and then he's going to torch it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was, that was kind of crazy. I had 1.3 million at, uh, 800 K big blind where 800 big blind eight, or sorry, 8 K big blind, 8 K big blind. Um, and the final table average was 2.2 million. Yeah. So I had like six and a half percent of the chips in play. Like 80 left or something? With like 80 people left. Wow. I final tabled with 2.6 million. Yeah. <laughs> so I went, I went like all the way back down from 1.3 all the way back down to like 300K. How much uh, ICM consideration were you using at the final table? Only one spot and it actually probably ensured that I got exactly second. Uh, so with three left, Alex was short. He had... I think like seven or eight big blinds, maybe 10 at the most. Uh, and I had like 25. And um, what Charlie have? Charlie had like 45 or 50. He had like twice my stack, but he was actually playing pretty snug. Like he folded King eight off on the button. I, he was just like, Pat, he, he, he allowed this to go on longer than it should have. <laughs> Um, and maybe not obviously it could have went another way but like he just wasn't putting any pressure on Alex at all and it was allowing Alex to kind of like freely pick up some chips here and there and, and keep himself around but this spot came up where he opened the button and he had been open pretty tight so like I thought he had a decent hand uh, Alex folded the small blind leaving himself with like 8 bigs or something like that and I have king queen of spades in the big so obviously I have a defend with ICM you know debatable if I have a 3 bet or not uh, without um, I call and it comes seven high, two spades. So like, I don't know, seven, six, three, two spades and a diamond, I think. And, you know, I would just have a check raise here, mm -hmm. a very clear check, check raise, raise, get it in possible, get it in spot. Yeah. Like whatever. We don't care. We have two overs and a flush draw. This board hits us harder than it hits him. He's going to have to show up with an overpair here. Yada, yada, yada. But because Alex only has eight bigs, 
I have to check call. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is Charlie flops a gutty with ace five of diamonds, bets, in a spot where, like, you know, he'd have to be more I, mindful. I actually without, remember this. I saw this hand. Yeah, yeah he'd right. have to be more mindful mm -hmm. without ICM. He can't really be freely betting this board. Mm -hmm. So now he bets. I can't check raise, call, right. turns the jack of diamonds. He gets to bet again because now he picked up the backdoor flush draw. Mm -hmm. I'm resigned to calling again. River brick. brick, check, check. He wins with ace high. Yeah. And it's like, this is very frustrating. <laughs> this is sad for me. It left me with like 12 bigs going into heads up instead of, you know, just picking that pot up on the flop. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we would have got it in on the flop or not. I doubt it. <clears throat> um, he said he would just folded to the check raise, which I kind of believe him. He opened button. Yeah. You had how many? 25. With king tens. King queen of spades. King queens. No, I think you always call. Yeah. Your hand's too good. Yeah. I think uh, you jam like jack ten suited. Well, with ICM, I can't do anything but call. With King Queen, yeah. I don't, I don't even think I can jam Jack 10. Oh, of course you can. Because, like, you just get Queen Jack to fold. You, it does very well. Like, you it's, retain equity. Yeah, but, like, Alex is just going to bust. He has no big blinds. It's just kind of brutal. Yeah. Uh, the jumps were, like, relatively big, too. I think third place was, like, 31. So it was, like, almost a 20K jump from thir uh, third to second. Yeah. And then the jump from second to first was actually smaller. We're going to keep saying it, man. Tournaments are Ponzi schemes. Yeah. They are. Yeah. But you know what? Got to get off on the top. Tournaments are hard, man. <laughs> it's wild because first is so much in comparison to second. Yeah, kind of. Like, I mean, it's 53 to 81. It's not that much. And a buy-in of ABI of 500? Well, yeah, it's a lot of buy-ins. There'll always be a lot of buy-ins. Yeah, just seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean... You know. Like I, I feel like there should be more. You're just not figuring this out. The tournaments no, are top no, heavy. No, 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 no. I just mean in the sense of like the difference between ninth being normally like ten percent of first. Yeah, just seems so ridiculous when you think about how many pay slots you're eight away from making ten times more money than you have. Yeah. Nine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's like, true. Maybe ninth should be a little bit more, or like first should be less. I just, I don't remember what the actual payout structure was nine to one. I just remember like it was really important for me to get top three. <laughs> so you want, you want to like flatten out the final table a little bit? Maybe it's like flatten out, like take some off of first, and then give some more to like the middle, middle tier, like the 27 down, final three table maybe down like, type shit. So like ninth would be what, seventh? One seventh of first, something like that. Something like that, but like at the same, it it's a weird thing to think about when it comes to the structural difference between pay slots. As mm -hmm. like, because normally it seems like the standard strategy is to give podium finishes most of the money. Yeah, like yeah. the top jump threes. Top threes are like that's. I mean, that's what you're aiming for every time you play a tournament, right? Right, but now if you're playing a tournament with like that, caught two thousand people, top three is like one and never. <laughs> yeah, there's and some five hundred people. I mean. We, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, there's a lot of corrections I think that can be made for large field events. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I say it is strictly for large fields events. Large yeah. field events, right? Like small field high rollers and stuff. Uh, of course, pay, well, pay there, there have been some corrections we've seen throughout the years. They started paying 15% instead of 10. They started paying like, you know, sub... 15% the first. Yeah. It used to be standard. It used to be like infinite for WPT first places, right? Like on TV and Not stuff? just WPT, WSOP back in the day too. Like it was just industry-wide standard that they paid 20% the first. That is insane. No matter like what the buy-in. Like look at the Jamie Gold year. Oh my God. I right? remember some of the pay jumps from some of these, these tournaments way back when. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. The Jamie Gold year I think had uh, what like 80... 85 million in the prize pool, maybe a little bit less. Something like that, yeah. And it paid like almost 15% the first. Man, yeah. it is kind of cool. It is fun from a tournament, like from a gameplay standpoint of you need to play to win. No, nah, that's, that, that's not though, because if, if 1,000 people take the mindset of they need to play to win, all that means is that like variance is going to be a bigger dictator in like what the final outcome is. Well, yeah, it, it seems nice, it, but... It's, it's a nice handicap for those who... Otherwise, are ICM conscious. But again, as we've demonstrated, and like as the models show, the ICM conscious player will always have a higher bottom line. Yeah. Right. So, like, they may win the event itself less often, but if they get to put in any amount of volume in said event, their hourly is just going to be significantly higher. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. Well, that's kind of why mystery banners are so cool. Yeah. It's because it lets people have access to the prize pool and in other instances where I they totally should. agree. It's more of a gamble fest, but I do like what Triton no, did. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. No, I, I like the gamble. What, what was unique about Triton? They did the bounty ceremony after the tournament was over. Yeah. Oh, so everybody just cashed their bounties like, in at you once. You get your bounties 
for the day. So the I guess maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. the bounty value would stay the same. So you it's don't consistent. know what yes. you don't know what's left at the bounty coming down to the final stretch. Correct. Yeah. Right. Like no which one's really, pulled, no really one's pulled would, a big bounty yet. Which really would impact how people play. Obviously, it does in some. some no, regards, it matters yeah. a lot. Like yeah, if you take away to. the big bounty, then the big bounty got less. pulled with with uh, eighteen left in the ten k. And it changed the play immediately from, from Chip EV to ICM. Yeah. yeah. Like sure. drastically altered mm -hmm. the, well, the state of gameplay. <laughs> what do you think about that structure versus the pull when you want? I like both. <laughs> I think it's cool to just run Depending both. on like if it's a high roller or not? Uh, no. It just, they're I, they're I just, good in different ways. Yeah, I just think they're good in different ways. Yeah. Like I love, I love the sweat of the bounties like getting plucked. It's kind of like a race. Yeah, but it's also like you you have to still have some in-game strategy changes, right? Like as big bounties get pulled and the bounty is actually worth less and less and less, uh, you have to alter. And the other thing is, is like you're never going to realize your true EV. Uh, so the bounty prize pool is a little bit like a lottery, right? Like yeah. no matter what, you'll never realize, you'll, you'll never pull effectively your EV. You're always going to be above it or below it. Correct. Uh, just based off the distribution of what the bounties are. Someone if, you get, pull, yeah. if you pull nothing but mins, you're going to be obviously below. If uh, you pull nothing but above, you're going to be way above. And if you pull some mix, you're going to be slightly above or slightly below. Yeah. Um, I think I pulled all 10Ks in uh, a couple of 5Ks when I pulled mine. And I ended <laughs> up being like ever so <laughs> slightly above. Yeah. It uh, feels bad though, because it feels like body. opportunity cost missed, where you don't spike the big one. Well, I mean, yeah, if if you want to attach some emotion to it, but the whole point that I'm trying to get at is that um, I think it's fun to kind of like work those problems out in real time. Yeah, I think, and realize how much you should be going for it. Yeah, I think it's fun either way. Like, yeah, because like if I think the strategic part about it, like if you understand, like the, they're getting pulled as we go. Like your strategy changes on the fly every time, almost like a little bit. It's it's not as significant as you would think until like the the bigger the, ones. The, the thing the is, top is that five bounties. The thing is, I would discourage a little bit of like what the WSUP does, where so much of the bounty prize pool is locked up into one or two spots. Yeah, it seems like there should be more. Man, there has it, to be way more parity in the bounties. Yeah, mm -hmm. the the marketing aspect I understand for sure. Yeah, that they definitely okay, want. but like for instance, the million dollar bounty or the the. Yeah, the million yeah, dollar bounty. You didn't need mm -hmm. two millions. Right, didn't, definitely. Right, didn't when need you two. when you collect enough to have a second million dollar bounty, you should just have like you know a dozen fifty k bounties, mm -hmm. and then uh, a hundred a couple more hundred k bounties or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. that money, a hundred percent should be spread distributed. it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because they just now, want, like you said, his like, like Landon said, it's a marketing thing. They just want to be like, we got another million. But, but, it, but it's a too. huge, yeah. huge change in strategy now because what ends up happening, no matter what, no matter how you distribute it, you can have all of the money in one single bounty, right? <laughs> now that would be cool. And every bounty is still going to be. Uh, it's like the, min bounties or mil or like giga million. No, no, no. Not, say, say it's say there's a hundred bounties and ninety nine of them are zero and one of them is a million. Yeah, could you imagine the that? EV? That <laughs> the EV of pulling a bounty is still going to be the same. Yeah, it's still going to be uh, ten thousand dollars. Right, right. So it doesn't matter how you distribute the bounty pool. The quote unquote EV of winning a bounty is theoretically going to be the same. The issue is that when you don't distribute that money out uh, throughout a myriad of bounties, now once the big bounty is pulled the strategy alters drastically because now the EV of every bounty is not the same. It's drastically altered. Whereas if say the big bounty, instead of being a million is a hundred thousand, you would have to pull all of the hundred thousands, right? right. Like, instead of having 2 million, do you have, even if you made it 10, hundred thousands extra yes. versus mm -hmm. that 2 million type right. thing. Right. Now, if you pull 1 million out, well, there's still a whole other million. Yeah. Uh, in the prize pool, so the EV of the bounties changes a little bit, right? And it's your like desire you can, to go for it changes a little not bit. Not like there's one, and then once it's gone, right? Like you can still have your marketing shtick. The deal, and no deal. You can give yeah. people money, right? Yeah. Like in the 10k one that I played, they had a 250, and then the next closest was a 50, and then they had two 25ks. Did they have a 100k or no? Uh, maybe there was I think 100k. Marafa Mar 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 pulled. Yeah, 100K. There, there might have been 100k. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, once the 250 was pulled, it's like Jesus Christ. The average EV <laughs> of the bounty went down so drastically because that ended up being like a quarter of the bounty prize pool or so, mm -hmm. yeah. maybe, maybe a little bit less, maybe like 20. percent Yeah. Uh, just it, it just immediately changed, and then at that point, the 100k was also gone. So yeah, and then you yeah. lost in the tournament because now you're not playing the Gamble Fest anymore. I, that's not why I lost, I but <laughs> uh, it definitely altered strategy a lot. Where it's like you know how I see him aware because. At that point, a lot of non-ICM aware players could be deep in the event.
because they're making good decisions based off the bounties. Right. So you're the, just the, incentivized to gamble. The only yeah. thing to really consider is what the average bounty is worth. Right? It's that's, not, a, that's the only thing you really can consider in theory. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If the big bounty gets pulled, they're all worth less. If they're, of course. If if all the the big, once the big ones, bounty gets pulled, the, the average just drops so dramatically that there's a huge trend change in strategy yeah you're right it's right. very deal or no deal-esque yeah which is such a fun game like i like i like adding <laughs> yeah. these sub games or or uh into the yeah submissions if you will into the mm -hmm. into the overall gameplay like for sure i i like that aspect of uh tournament structures like you're able to play with the structure so much where you can add these side missions mm -hmm. that are worth dollars you can't really do that in cash i mean we do it a little bit with like the deuce the seven bounty yeah. stand -up or stand-up game. game stuff like that but the what ends up happening in in almost all of those scenarios is that they generate action based off of the punishment, not the the profit. What, what is going on? <laughs> it's a deal or no deal music. No, that's not deal or no deal. That's that's who wants to be a millionaire. Hey man, it's close. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Shout out to the champ, by the way. Twenty five k Triton. He did it. Mr. No, forty k. Forty k. Forty k. That's a strange number. 40? Well, I imagine 10 or 15 goes to the bounty. So it's a 25k mm -hmm. turn plus 15 in the prize Probably. pool. Very nice, sir. What do you think about um, <laughs> like bounty prize pool versus normal prize pool? Like half-half, 75-25? Uh, with mystery bounties, I don't care. With traditional bounties, stop running them. <laughs> just stop running these events. They're so stupid. Oh, you mean like the $300 consistent bounty? Yeah, just stop running them. Just always make it a mystery bounty. If it's a bounty, it's a mystery bounty. It has bounty. to be because like... Yeah. Man, mysteries I, I are so fun. I don't think people understand this, but um, you know, effectively you really alter... And, and to be fair, maybe I guess the, the argument for the traditional bounty is that it's, it's, an, uh, it's an indirect way of what we advocate for of a more level middle of the pack payout. Because what ends up happening is... Actually, maybe that's not even true. But basically, let's say one third of the prize pool is dedicated to a traditional bounty. And every time you knock somebody out, you get one tenth of the buy-in back or mm -hmm. one fifth of the buy-in back, it whatever. decreases so much. So what ends up happening is that entire prize pool is set aside for people who knock people out. But the eventual winner of the event or the person who knocks the most people out of the entire event will at most knock out like 1% of the field. And that's probably super high. It's that's probably closer to like... 0.5% I mean, that's field. probably way too high if you're looking at an SOP type tournament. Yeah, right. So it's like you're only going to get access. So where you have access to, let's say the winner gets 15% of the prize pool, uh, they're only going to get 0.5% of the bounty pool. Right. Right. Maybe less. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is uh, effectively in a traditional bounty event, you're paying normal rake on both, both prize pools, but like 40% of the field is being paid some amount of money yeah right right maybe even a little bit more it might right. even be close to like half the field mm -hmm. is getting paid mm -hmm. some amount of money um and you know it basically just makes it like very undesirable to play as anybody who does this for any sort of hourly or work right like it's great for rex because they're they're just often going to get some portion of their buying back yeah um but like for the pros they're, they're just terrible terrible structure i wonder if there's a way to do do mystery bounties in a satellite right where it's like almost like you like you pull a bounty and maybe like it could be like a zero like a you know all or nothing type thing where you pull a bounty and it's either zero or maybe it's just the seat oh right right something like that Man, i so saw like some, you could like bust somebody like early in the event but then bust but then you you already have the bounty that's the seat i, I don't i i mean i haven't i it's just thought it's this, probably so possible I, yeah you, You'd be eliminating two people at a well, time. Or you have like uh, some form of, at least for WSOP or like big festivals, it seems kind of cool to have like a mystery bounty satellite tournament where like you have different, if you knock people out at a certain point, you can win different prizes to different tournaments. Like you might win a seat to a, like a 1100 prime or a 10K. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do it, right? I'm not that kind of, I'm not that guy. Well, it would just have to be, yeah, I mean, it would be based off of buy-in and prize pool. So, like, if yeah. you get a 1,000 people for $1,000, you have uh, a million-dollar prize pool. Now, it would be up to you to determine if you wanted to pay out 100 bounties, uh, you would basically just be figuring out, so what, what's the average bounty mm -hmm. at that point, 10K? Mm -hmm. So you could distribute it all the way from, like, you know, 25K down to a 500. Yeah. What are your thoughts on adding in the bounty prize pool like they do this on gg mm. they'll have 
like in some of the, it's like a Saturday secret. It's kind of the thing where you can win a bounty prize into like the 10K super millions where like you play the 1K a mystery but bounty. Just, they're just adding, right? Like that's just them basically splashing I think the prize pool. I think they might be right. adding, but what are your thoughts on them doing that live? Like you can win a seat to a 50K or an 100K. I mean, it's super dope, but like where are they pulling the money from? Right. Yeah. It, it, it just matters. If it's coming out of the prize pool, then it's less, it's less attractive. Because if I'm playing a five, if I'm playing the five hundred dollar Colossus, I'm happy that they add these massive prize bounties. But if you know Joe Random is playing a five hundred dollar Colossus and he wins a fifty k high roller seat, that's not the blessing that it appears to be. Or like there's yeah, there's probably have to be some form of way where you can like maybe give the seats up for less cash dollars. You see what I'm saying? I understand. But like if it's like, like you get a seat to a 50k, but instead of playing a tournament, you can take 25k cash. And then where's the other 25k go? It goes back to WSOP. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would love so that. So if you want to do this WSOP, uh, I'll take 10%. I'm pretty sure Landon just got put on the biz dev board. Yep. Uh, Honestly, that might be a fun idea. I would love to be part of a biz dev board. <laughs> you are part of a company, you <laughs> asshole. I knew he would say that. Asshole. Do your fucking course. No, you're a bad no. guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. Don't boo this man. Don't His boo course this is man. on backgaming, so. Oh, yeah, backgammon course. Yeah. Backgammon's so fun. You, you and Gus Hansen are going to be battling. Me, Gus Hansen and Galen. How to play backgammon, Man, that'll be the next course. I saw out on Galen went to Monte Carlo for the World Championships. Yeah. And in, like, the open, like, one of, like, a bigger, like, open field events, he got top four. And all the commentators were, like, kind of giving him shit in some spots where it's like, oh, I would never do this, and I would never do this. Yeah. And they didn't do it in a way until later where it was like, oh, he's gambling a lot. But gambling is good when you're playing versus someone better than you. Yeah. And then uh, I would message Galen about it, and then he'd message me back and be like, "Yeah, when they told me I was wrong, me doing this play was like way better than the play that they thought they thought it was." Yeah. Which kind of made me think, "Oh, is there edge? Like, if people have been playing this game for so long, but like missed these things, I mean, it's just like poker, right? Like anybody who is just trying to intuit strategy, they get they get close, but they just never get to max EV because they're not supercomputers. You would love backgammon, by the way. Probably. You really would. I mean, okay. Well, it's, I believe well, you. We all love strategy games. So yeah, it's, just it's like a good one. Any kind of strategy game you put in front of us, we'll probably enjoy. Well, it. I, I hear there's a level of gamble to it. So there's that a seems, ton of gamble that, in. Yeah, there's even a, better. There's a cube in it, and like if you have an advantage, like certain equity advantage, you can double the amount of money you're playing for, mm. and then you can like redouble as well. Mm -hmm. So like if you have a good favor, if you have a favorable position, you double. But then like they get lucky and run and like run good, they can redouble. Mm -hmm. And then like if it switches again, you can play for like up to sixty-four times the amount. I feel like I need is. to study up on Kelly criteria to get this right. <laughs> yeah, but like this is like, this is a like very you game. When do you double or not double? I just mm -hmm. double too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you would love it. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good way of going broke. You would love it. Plus, there's actual strategy. Like people try to compare themselves versus the computer because it is a solved game. Oh, okay. It's not like poker in the sense of maybe you're making a mistake because of ranges or whatever. Yeah. Every single move is technically correct. Okay. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you can play the AI and it'll give you feedback, like say move blunder or whatever, mm -hmm. and save movies you're playing effectively like computer strat. That's that's how I feel about Connect Four. Yeah. I love I lo it's so stupid. This is such a dumb mindset to have, and maybe I don't have it anymore because it's been a decade since I've really played in any competitive way. But Connect Four is solved. You can learn the strategy relatively quickly. And a big group of us used to play it maybe 10 or 15 years ago, like Mercier, Fildo, Brent, all those guys. And I don't know if Jay looked up the solve or not, but like he, he intuited what the solve was. And by playing with him and watching him enough, I was able to kind of reverse engineer what the solve was, looked it up, double checked, knew what the solve was, etc. For whatever reason, there's something, at least back then when I was playing, there was something very intoxicating about playing somebody who didn't know what that the game was solved or like what the proper strategy was yeah of course and you're just getting to execute every them, single time yeah. and just like luring them into these traps where you have a double move to win i mean these are the, these are the same yeah. people that think they have an edge in like tic-tac-toe i was gonna yeah, say yeah. That, that's what you used to do like in first grade in tic-tac-toe once yeah. you once you realize the solve and then someone didn't yeah. and just beat them every time <laughs> but, it, but, it, but that one's like really easy to figure out quickly I, I that know, you're getting when you're, fucked. when you're in first grade it's like people don't you know yeah. don't stick it on that level but once you do but like the connect, four, else the is, connect yeah. four you just kind of give them a side you're like no 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 <laughs> i will say it, it does there is a really nice like it's a good feeling when you can intuit a solver strat because mm -hmm. the solver strat is it has to be heuristically based 
Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, this move makes sense for these reasons. The well, solve won't tell you what they are. Right. With Connect 4, it's literally just like looking ahead a couple of moves and seeing how to set up a double win. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like, once you start thinking along those lines, you realize it's just a grid and it's math-based and that we can just, like, execute a simple formula to arrive at this. Man, that's what makes poker so fun, though, is that you, you never have perfect information. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If... Man, poker be- is nowhere near as cool as it is if you have perfect information every time. No, it would be the deadest game on earth. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, even to some degree, I think that's the the, the issue with limit hold'em is that with the fixed bet mm-hmm. sizings, it's pretty uh, close to yeah. With the fixed bet sizings and just like pot odds being what they are, the game gets less interesting street by street. Mm-hmm. Right, but it becomes more. It becomes closer and closer to. I mean, poker be, finality. Poker street would be by street. pretty much chess, right? Like, well, essentially, uh, hmm. sort of. The, 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 you're saying if like we had perfect information. Yeah. Yeah. No, because chess wouldn't. There, there would still be the element of chance in poker. That's true. Right. Yeah. Chess, yep. right. chess lacks that. Yeah, right. you still don't know. Like you don't have perfect information of turn and river distributions. Right. Where on a chessboard you just see everything you will have yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to see. But I mean, so, we could ask Russ Hamilton what it's like. <laughs> if it I felt mean, like chess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he won a ton of money and then uh, got ostracized oh, for yeah. good reason. Seems well, like a fair exchange. What are the so for mixed games? The reason like some of them might be fundamentally solved, but we don't have access to that information, kind of right. And also lack of information in some spots. I imagine there's mixed game solvers out there. There mm-hmm. is because he I mean, was talking about how he was the best at Badoogie and then some two people came out with a solver and mm. miles ahead of him now. But like, yeah. But solver, solver doesn't have... Oh, it does have perfect information based off of your hand and I mean, the probability of them either drawing or not drawing. Yeah, right? if you're talking about like stud-based games, like uh, the up cards are known similar to, to community boards or whatever. Um, and everything just comes down to an EV calculation. Like even Fantasyland, or uh, sorry, Openface. Oh, uh, it didn't take it, it didn't take a fucking rocket scientist to build an EV calculator for, you know, what's the the most optimal move. Right. Um. So I imagine I imagine that's probably like the framework to operate off of. Right. The difference being that there are no betting rounds in OFC. It's just a point based system. Uh. Whereas in like seven card games, there's six streets of betting or seven streets of betting, whatever, uh, that, that change things a little bit, but they're fixed. So you can almost treat it as like a point-based game to some degree. Yeah. I mean, all these games are super interesting and it's nice that there's not perfect-ish information because people would ask me from other games, call it chess, even backgammon, because for backgammon, you get a rating as well. Yeah. Because like, what's your rating uh, versus the computer and like, what's your error mistakes? Mm-hmm. Where people would say, oh, like... Is there an ELO system in poker? And I'm like, God, no. Like, thank God there's no poker ELO system. Right. Imagine if you were playing versus someone that had like a 2400, 24, like 2400. Like, why would I want to ever I mean, put myself can, in this we spot? We can kind of intuit that that exists. But yeah, I mean, I think that people try too hard to force <clears throat> the comparison between poker and chess. Yeah. There, there's like such a, there's such a desire for a scoring system that will allow us to basically say like, okay, unequivocally, this person is the best. Uh, this person is average, and this person is a huge loser. And th- really, the only thing we can go off of is win rate. Is and that just like based mob- off of people's, um, call it proclivity to put things in the boxes and I like think rank so. themselves amongst mm-hmm. their peers? We, you, re- regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of, uh, call it logic and rationality, even if you even if you understand the world is very gray. And that we're operating on a black and white spectrum where we're mostly uh, functionally in the gray. We still have a desire to gravitate towards those ends, right? We still have a desire to put everything into a black or white box and just say like, okay, I have confidence in this. We, we don't think in confidence intervals, right? But that's the way the world works. We, we want to be 100% confident or the irony is like, I don't think anybody is 0% confident in anything, right? Like, so it's this weird scale that's either... Uh, I know this for a fact, or I partially know this because I'm arrogant and egotistical enough to to not allow myself to say I don't know anything, mm. right? But the truth of the matter is, like most everything that we do, uh, barring it having strict answers the way that uh, I, I guess chess does with perfect information, nothing is really going to fit into that always or never type of category. So yeah, I, I think to your point, like 
we want to be able to look at the field and just put them in rank order and say, okay, from top to bottom, here's the, the top 100 players, here's the bottom 100 players. But like sports are like this too. It's, it's also what makes them so magical. If we could just look at sports and say like, okay, here are the quarterbacks ranked 1 through 32, and this is empirical fact. This isn't my subjective bias. This isn't like uh, based off of what I've observed. This is just like absolute fact. There's no debating it. Based off of an overall system right. of like call it vision. What, whatever the ELO accuracy. score would be for quarterbacks. Right. You know, And it's like whether you want to rank it today or rank it 30 years from now, it's still going to be this 1 through 32 order. That's kind That'll of what Moneyball That's kind of what Moneyball was sort of trying to do, no. but just from a run perspective. No, Moneyball put EV on runs. And they were able to categorically, you know, box people in certain ways where they're either going to be slightly higher or slightly lower EV uh, based off of average. And the sabermetrics grew off of that war and all these other uh, statistics that have come out where we can try to measure the value of a player. But nothing is anywhere remotely close to perfect. It's much closer to what we see in poker and solver study than it is what we see in chess with ELO score. Yep. Right. And I think that that's a good thing. I think so too. It creates parity. It creates interest. It creates uh, a lack of ceiling, at least, at least uh, in our eyes, right? The ceilings may be there, but we're less aware of them because so much is out of our control. It's also not as palatable if every time, like you're supposed to play, the call it the main, right? It's a ten dollar tournament, and you take some sort of strategy test, and when you buy in, they say, "Oh, are you sure you want to buy in? Your win rate is negative twenty percent, correct? <laughs> Which means you're gonna get eight thousand yeah, dollars back from this ten thousand dollars. Like, ah, well, like I'd rather go to dinner instead. Right, know. right. Or if they yeah. just like hit with the probability of like, okay, uh, one in fifteen people cash this event, but you actually are only gonna cash one in fifty, and the likelihood of you making the final nine is one in a million <laughs> most people are going to pull their 10k back yeah. right. mm -hmm. you know so it's like it it's what allows the game to persist in the way that it is it's what allows it to grow everybody has the ability to especially now right like before it required a certain aptitude you had to have a certain sense for games like what i was talking about with jay and uh connect four right you can extrapolate that anywhere like jason's yeah. just good at games he just mm -hmm. has a good game sense and and the ability to kind of like look at the board and reverse engineer what makes most logical sense but what's most rational in a winning strategy right yeah so you needed that card sense that aptitude before to become a gambler but we don't you don't have to start from that base any longer don't get me wrong you're ahead, you're ahead yeah it helps if you do but everybody has the capacity now to buy a gto wizard subscription and start from fucking scratch and just figure out where the heuristics come from in game theory you know studying it from the absolute base uh, of of uh the mathematical model and working your way up do you think it's easier if somebody had experience call it maybe five years of experience call it black friday era and then jumped back into poker mm -hmm. versus like a new kid that had zero um, i would take the new kid new kid right i would take a blank slate in their 20s over uh, a conditioned rogue old school gambler, like experience type, out of one hundred, yeah. Because experience can be learned over time, where you can also still learn technicalities. Well, probably learned a lot of things, did a lot of things wrong, Poorly. and it's ingrained into them, and Correct. it's hard to to reverse that back. Whereas, almost, almost right. all the things that make good gamblers good gamblers make them very poor poker players, and uh, I mean that in a technical sense. I don't mean that in uh, the ability to win, right? So if you're talking about, if you're giving me the option of, uh, you can have this 35 year old who grew up pre Black Friday, took a decade off, and you know built some really sharp live skills, and I call it winning player that like took a break. Right? Yes, so you can have him, and you can attempt to get him into high stakes no limit live, or you can have a blank slate 25 year old who's never really learned the game and you can attempt to get him into high stakes live, I would take the gambler. Because he's going to have all the soft skills necessary to not only allow him to have uh, staying power in these games, but to be able to uh, allow him to develop a winning strategy off of this stuff and keep it hidden to a certain degree from the pool, right? Where the young 25-year-old, it's going to be very difficult for me to develop both his poker IQ and his poker EQ at the same time. So that blank slate doesn't work. But if you're asking me which one I want to try to scale in high stakes 
in general, be it MTTs or online, it's going to be the young kid 100% of the time because the EQ is meaningless. Yep. You don't need any of the fucking soft skills in either of those environments. Hmm. At what point do you think EQ is an added skill in the sense of something that if people are looking to pursue poker professionally, I'm assuming more so now because online is kind of becoming apocalyptic where it's almost like I'd rather take the person with more EQ than IQ at this specific point because you can teach someone poker skill and strategy where EQ seems like it's a lot more... I mean, it's learned. You can learn how to become better Harder at EQ. Yeah. yeah. But some people might be more naturally talented in an EQ sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I, I think anything... That, I, I think the things with the highest win rate are the areas that require the, the most EQ. Right. The ability to get into the biggest game and like stay in the biggest anything game. Soft. Anything yeah. soft is going to provide the highest win rate. And it's soft because it's protected. Mm-hmm. It's keeping out the highest IQ players. It's gate kept. Yeah. So it's like, how do you become the highest IQ player in that pool? Well, it's you have the highest EQ to hide your IQ. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's just kind of the, the, the game, right? And really what it comes down to is the difference between being cooperative versus being, um, you know, uh, EV driven and, and all for one, right? Type of mentality. Right, so, like kind of sacking some spots because you know you're losing some dollars, but it's going to work, keep you staying in the game. Yeah, spots. maybe not even sacking, just more so just uh, ch- choosing a, a slightly smaller size where the EV differential isn't great, but uh, the loss rate for the fish is going to be significantly right. less. Like not overbetting in a spot or jamming for 3x pot. Yeah, potentially. Or, uh, you know, even just being able to uh, suss out people that are, are damaging to the environment, like being able to police those situations. Yeah, uh, it's, it's cool because when it comes to the EQ sense of it all, some, what I've recently sort of experienced in my own like personal uh, type of stuff when it comes to, call it the private game scene, call it like being friends with other people that like aren't poker players but love playing poker. Some people don't care if they lose to you, if they like you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Precisely. If you can be someone that you can win and there's like, oh, like, okay, I like, like, they, they make me try to play better. Like, they answer my questions if I have them. You know, like, there's certain ways that you can kind of still have a win rate while being a net positive to a game, not from a dollar standpoint. Yeah. What I, what I find to be true, and you guys can kind of speak to this as well, um, people, people uh, react to competition in very different ways. But... The thing that I find to be consistently true is that people don't mind a competitive environment if they think they have a chance to win. So I'm a highly, highly competitive individual and I don't hide it, right? Like I'm not one to kind of reel it in and, uh, you know, tap the table and say like, great hand, man. That was a (laughs) hell of a bluff. Like, you know, you're the best kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm hyper competitive, but I play in a manner where everybody that I'm playing against thinks that they can get me, right? And and to some degree, they can, right? Like, my swings are huge in both directions compared to the pool. Like, if the average standard deviation in my game is, like, 5K, mine's probably 30, (laughs) right? So it's, it's like, that that in and of itself represents opportunity to, to the pool itself, right? Like, even if they are losing over the long run to me, which maybe they are, maybe they aren't, uh, it's hidden in the swings. Right. It's like, I'm stuck 30, but Matt's coming to play. Exactly. So I could be up 80. Exactly. 100%. So mm-hmm. even though I'm hyper-competitive and I'm leading with that, right? I'm leading with the fact that I'm trying really hard to not just win, but to fucking bury you at all costs. It's reciprocated by other people that are competitive and even people that may not be competitive because they think like, oh, well, I'll just wait them out. Well, this kind of has to deal with the EQ as well because I'm sure like there's some people you play against that don't like that in some instances. Yeah, of course. You don't want to be abrasive, yeah. you know? Uh, you, you never want to be like over the top. There are certain people in the game that like I I spar with all the time and like we have verbal jabs back and forth. And there are other people that like I just smile and, you know, tap the table kind of thing because it just serves everyone better. Uh, to have like good decorum with people that would be off put by anything like uh, verbally aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It, well, that just takes that's part of the EQ of navigating environments and like like navigating Reading the room. It's and like understanding you're playing the situations, right? It's yeah, like you're playing sure. an eight handed table. You're not playing one versus eight. You're playing one versus one eight times. Correct. In in either poker or in an EQ sense, right? Yeah. It's like okay, versus this person, like they do something stupid. It's like okay, like you can talk back and forth someone else like you know better yeah mm-hmm. and just kind of trial and error and it's yeah. it's 
it's so slow so like how the conversation moves and you know the way that these interpersonal relationships form it's it's very much like a big brother type game show or survivor or whatever survivors i think a great example right because you see success from all different types of uh personality types right it's not just the super cooperative guy who goes in there and pats everyone on the ass that always wins sometimes it's like the overly aggressive militant guy that comes in there and it's it's mm -hmm. just all about figuring out uh how to navigate this like level of both you know potentially being the alpha leader versus like one of the the one of everybody type of things and poker is no different especially in the live sense because you guys are willingly exchanging money you know over long long days and hours where gambling is at the forefront but there's just infinite downtime so it's like a lot of times the the competitive back and forth is in a way very disarming to the people that are less competitive because it's happening between maybe some of the stronger players in the game most of the time you're not even gambling you're sitting at the table and folding right you know, so it's just about like how you kind of make the game fun, not only for yourself, but to keep everyone else entertained yeah. as well. Like when recreationals come and show up and like maybe they're on the tighter side and they just don't play many hands and they see two of the stronger players like verbally sparring and then trading back and forth huge pots. That's what they came for. That's mm -hmm. entertaining to them. Yeah. They're yeah. happy to like buy a ticket to that. Right. right. It's like sometimes people want to just like be around the arena and not in it. Yeah. Like I mean, they're in it. Sure. They're mm -hmm. just, you know, in it 10 blinds at a time yeah. instead of, you know, 10 stacks at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, too. I, I don't know. I, I think, like, ultimately, this is what makes live so healthy by comparison to online. And I think the tricky, the, the trickiest part about it is that so much of this is gatekept. Like, this used to be the way the, the public sector worked, right? Like, you could just go to Bellagio or, uh, you know, the Venetian or the Wynn and play an uncapped... 510 all the way up to you know 100 200 you can game. show up at the biggest game and play if there's a seat for you right and the most annoying thing was just like waiting on lists right um now you can't even get in those games right now those games are very gate kept and it's like i understand i'm speaking from a point of privilege like because i have access but i recognize how tough it is for people who are like coming up and what i realize is like the people that break through and get the opportunity are the ones that are very gregarious understand how to read a room understand how to fit in and understand how to mask you know the ev that they may be pulling out of the game well in some sense that might not even be from a luck-based standpoint right so especially if you're getting into poker now yeah knowing that this stuff is important for live it seems like it's not that big of a secret that people that are more socially out there get more opportunity you know mm -hmm. i i think part of it is luck-based just in the sense of uh it's only the genuine ones that's that have any staying power like, I haven't seen anybody who tries to manufacture this type of EQ ever last. They, they kind of just get sussed out very quickly. Because it it, it's disingenuous. Right. It doesn't fit. You, you, can, like, you can just feel the fakeness of right. it. Like right. Like, the person yeah. who shows up with, like, mm -hmm. having read, uh, you know, the book of questions. Right. and How to win friends yeah. and influence people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're just, they're literally just, like, reading yeah. off of a script. Mm -hmm. It's like, you only have to play a dozen hours with them before you realize the shtick. Right. And then notice that they're also V-pipping 12%. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I mean, yeah, you they're, suck. They're efficient mm -hmm. EQ you know sharpen iq fish eq right you're out yeah i mean it's, it's like nice try you voted yeah. you voted off the island it doesn't take long to figure that out either. right and and the other thing is like the majority of the games are actually built off of other high eq individuals that are just <laughs> like you know not as sharp when it comes to iq like if we can get a game with eight conrads and me we're talking fucking business, baby. Yeah. Wow. And the funny part about it is the, per the person with the high IQ is immediately going to pick uh, EQ, is immediately going to pick up on it. Yeah. And that's usually mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they usually have good reads on the, the person that's, you know, faking their way through. They, it's, it's so funny how many times I've been at a table and that person that's faking their way through just gets called out by, like, the drunk guy that's, like, just having a blast, but yeah. he's mm -hmm. smart. Right. He understands what's going on. You're speaking from experience? What? No, oh, you're, 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 you're a drunk guy. You're a drunk guy. <laughs> table, like, this is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, obviously, sometimes. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the other guy now. Yeah. You know, like the 65-year-old Asian man that's just been having a great time, this fucking bawling. And then he's like, I'm not fucking playing with you. Right. Like, <laughs> like, legit, Conrad can play as tight as he fucking wants in any game that he plays mm -hmm. because he brings so much to the environment. 
You know what I mean? Like he, he's just never going to be putting on a front. He's the kind of guy that you build a meetup game around. Right. And it's like that's the core of the type of people that you want in your game. At the end of the day, a lot of these games that are gatekept, they're not gatekept for people who are only going to VPIP over 35%. Right? No, it's an eclectic mix. There's plenty of room for people to play tight when they bring other things to the table, when they're pleasant conversation, when they keep the energy high, when they do, you know, randomly pop off here and there in the stand-up game or seven deuce or whatever, like... Right. You don't care if if they come to the game and you look at them and you say like they're a net small winner or a small loser. It's like okay, well you're still important, right? It's always mm -hmm. it's it's more macro than micro for yes. sure. Where it's like okay, I can't know how much you're winning from a game because you're never gonna get the sample, but I know how much of a good time or bad time you bring to the environment. Right. Well, you might have someone that VPIPs 100 percent, but acts like a dick to everybody. And it's like okay, we just can't have you in the game. Yeah. You can't stay nah, here. Nobody wants to VPIP 100 percent. You'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, but like even though it's like you know what, nobody likes you. There's, there's a lot of times that person gets That's okay, out. too, though. Yeah, yeah, you, no, might get the, you might get the play. You might get shit talk behind your back. You know, there's no, always... No, yeah, it's verses. okay, too, because, like... You know, <laughs> I mean, there, there's this competitive spirit. There, look, there's a handful of, of special players, VIPs, whatever you want to call them, that... Action gamblers. The Santoshes of the world. No, no, no. no Santoshes Santosh Santosh is a unicorn. Is he is an absolute <laughs> unicorn. No, but there's, like, this other subsection where... Uh, you know, amongst the, the, the regs, we just kind of say like, oh my God, I'd rather have like literally another reg than this guy because like they play super tight and they're dicks and you know, this other stuff. But at the end of the day, like when you take that exact same personality and they play a lot of hands, the conversation shifts from, I'd rather have another reg than this guy to like... <laughs> This guy sucks, Man, but... It's so yeah. interesting. It, it is right. very interesting in the game politics of how much is somebody giving up in, call it dollar amounts, to make the game run versus how pleasant are they to be around. Right, and what Berkey's saying is there is a dollar amount where that doesn't matter. Yeah. Right, so it's like if they're giving up enough dollars, they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, that, that's simply it. Right. How do you take that to a sense of not having some form of... I don't know if it's favoritism is the right word, mm -hmm. where it's like people want to do more because they do this. So it's like, oh, I know you need me for this game. Yeah, it's, it's like leveraging that. Right, it's tough to juggle, right? Like th this is something that, you know, it's a conversation I've had with dozens of regs throughout the years because when you're lucky enough to have the privilege to sit these games, you have to understand that there's a fair value exchange, right? But oftentimes what happens is the game runners will kind of get drunk with power and realize that they're gatekeeping the most coveted prize of all, which is a soft game at high stakes. And they forget how critical the core group of, you know, higher EQ, lower IQ people are to the game. Like the people who are bringing in the biggest influx of money are going to be regs, not, not necessarily wrecks. The people who are losing the biggest influx of money will be the wrecks, of course, but they're not consistent. They're not in town all the time. You know, they're only able to go off for a few days at a time. They have jobs, they have families, they have lives, right? Yeah, like so, you said, Bellagio summer's over. Right, yeah. So we're mostly, it's mostly core regs now. And what I'm saying with that is that, you know, from my vantage point, it's like I do everything I possibly can to provide any game that I play in a ton of value. If I can bring a fun player, I'll bring a fun player. If I can bring a fun environment, I'll make the environment fun. If me sitting deep makes the game good, then I'll sit deep. If me sitting shallow makes the game feel more comfortable for the players in it, then I'll sit shallow. Like, I don't care. I'm willing to bend to the environment and, and offer the needs. But it's really easy to take that for granted, right? Because being, like, me consistently showing up, me consistently doing all the little things necessary to make sure that the game is good, me consistently uh, putting myself in harm's way, potentially in some small EV spots so that... Uh, the, the, the fun players are having a good experience and giving them a shot and everything else. The things that lead to the recreational is going to the game runner and saying like, I don't care who else comes, but I want Berkey there. Those are the things that I offer as value. But they're very easy to overlook because I look like I'm replaceable with a half dozen, if not a dozen other regs. Right? Well, that's what makes you different than other people is because once you kind of realize, okay, I can, like you're replaceable, and then you realize after a very short amount of time that you're not replaceable. Well, that's the thing. I'm not even just saying specifically me, but there's sure, like a core group of regs that are always going to make up these games. The archetype. Yeah. And it's like, once you start plucking them out one by one, 
offering favor elsewhere, what you end up seeing is now this big divergence between vultures and fun players. Vulture one, mm. vulture two. Right. You just end up with vultures and fun players, and that's like the worst fucking kind of environment because right. now the recreationals are hyper aware that they're drawing dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't like it. You know, they just recognize... That's the opposite of how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. They just recognize that four vultures sat who usually sit with a minimum buy-in, but because they have their left, they just bought him for 100k, <laughs> and their VPIP is still single digits. These are very clearly the soft skills that some people... Not, I don't know if it's overlook or don't know, right? It's just a matter of... Some of it's just natural. Some of it's experience, I think. Uh, if, if I wasn't from pre-Black Friday era, I don't know that I would be able to do any of this stuff. Well, I'm not naturally an extrovert, and uh, you know, if I learned the game through the sen- through through the lens of EV, it'd be very difficult for me to frame out a world where it makes a lot of sense for me to VPIP Queen Seven suited under the gun <laughs> nine handed. Yeah. Well, this is kind of getting into the conversation of like why when some call it the whole like cardinal rules of like not talking strat at a table, especially when you're looking at more of like the younger online kind of crew yeah. where it's like, Oh, like doesn't everybody know this? And then you realize very quickly. No, the funny part is, <laughs> uh, speaking from my own personal experience, all of those cardinal rules that are in place are in place for vultures. I break every one of them. Yeah. I openly talk strat with the recreationals all the time because they want to, they are just as curious as everybody else about the game. Yeah, it's like, what did you have? Mm-hmm. Or like, can I raise this? Or- right, of course. Of course, they're constantly trying to learn and they constantly want... And you should spoon feed them as much as they're willing to take in because it's not going to make them that much better. It certainly isn't going to make them that much more aware of, of like how much they're giving up, but it's going to make their experience that much more enjoyable and... They're just going to feel like they walked away with some other intrinsic value. Right. Like if, if you, you get to watch a mechanic do his job all day long, you'd rather be able to ask questions than not. Right. Yeah, these are smart people. They feel like they learned something. Right. Right. Well, you do learn hopefully, like you learn something for a price. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, can I like you they lose a hand, but it's like, oh, like you think I can fold river. And in a spot it's like, oh, like maybe you can, maybe you can't. Right. Right. But even if they didn't get the outcome they wanted they got something to take away from that where the difference is when like vulture one vulture two over bets a turn and gets called by a hand that should fold and then like they end up sucking out on vulture one and then they get pissed it's like you can't call the turn with that shit right and like now now you're just making somebody feel bad yeah Yeah. now now it turns into like a parent child type of exchange right rather than just you know potentially two peers and i think ultimately that's the goal is you want them to you want them to feel like they're your peer even if like that's not the way that you two were introduced to one another right and i think that uh you know kind of the aspect of like what you're saying of they they want to learn something at the price like that's why they're in this game is to pay the price or whatever i think something that's naturally overlooked by people who feel very protective of the fortunate situation they find themselves in is trying to put a glass case over it and making sure that it never changes right so they try to get like hyper uh, vigilant about no one talking strat about nobody. Right, so you say uh, something in the eyes, like how right, dare you? Right, like nobody, nobody, uh, you know, using poker vernacular at the table, like keeping everything dumbed down and all this other stuff. And it's like these guys aren't that stupid, right? Yeah, you know, like if mm-hmm. if if you're trying to protect yourself or if you're trying to protect the game to that degree, just know that they're going to go to outside sources and get it. At least if you hear the conversation amongst you, you can anticipate some potential changes down the line. Right. It's not like a rich guy that wants to get better. Won't just pay someone for coaching as is. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. They're just paying you in the moment. Yeah. And that's way better because you now get to filter the information that that's getting leaked out and you kind of get to anticipate how they're going to digest that information, how they might potentially correct down the line. And you know, you can kind of evolve together. You just continually move together. If you don't do that, then they show up three months later and suddenly they're, you know, overbetting turns at a reasonable (laughs) frequency and doing all this other stuff. What ends up happening, and I've seen this happen a lot, is the runners will say, he's not actually a recreational. He's out. He's a super pro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a super pro disguised as a wreck. He's out. Like, he's not good for the game anymore. He's out. And, like, that's the thing. If you would have just let him naturally evolve alongside with you, you would have continually corrected as he corrected, and you would still see him for what he is. Right. A competitive wreck. There's also just... There's also that value you might learn where if someone wants to have have that conversation with you, like, oh, like, I wouldn't have called this bet, but I would have called this bet. Right? Like, maybe you actually get more information out of talking in the first place because you realize, oh, like, this bet will overperform versus other sizings. And then, like, you kind of get some value back for yourself in that way, too. 
it's not like the immediate reason why you do it, right. but it's kind of like a like secondary or like tertiary benefit to just having that conversation where if somebody wanted to, it's like losing players know they're losing. I just, I, I just, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> look, I love D Gaff. I've known him since 2008, but he's always been a hardcore proponent of don't talk strat at the table, drink, keep the, keep the wells gambling, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And like, you know, training sites are bad and all this other stuff. And it's like, I get it. And that was definitely true at some point in time, right? It was, it was for sure a secret society of people that were getting good at the game and never letting the public know. Right. Like getting good was a off the table type of activity. Yeah. But now we're in a world where the information is freely available. Everybody's hyper aware that it exists and nobody is putting in as much effort as the winners. So at the end of the day, the irony is that the people who are so strongly advocating for this behavior to cease are also the people that are condemning the young up and comers for giving nothing back to the environment. Right. And it's like, truthfully, some of the things that they could give back in the easiest, most palatable way is just casual conversation about the game. Literally strategy. Like I've been fortunate enough to get a spot where they literally told me, it's like, look, we know you're good at poker, but like, we just want to learn from you. And like, we're willing to get better. And it's not even like framing it as strategy feels like it's so like secret teach. No, it's more like teacher student type thing. Mm. I I see it more as like tips and tricks. Like if I went fishing, you know, I know how to catch fish. I've fished a bunch of my life, but I'm by no means good. I'm certainly not a professional at it. I'm not that great. If I get to go fishing with like, you know, somebody who's on the pro bass tour and I just got to fish with him all day casually, we're both just enjoying an activity Yeah. Mm-hmm. and we're shooting the shit about fishing because yeah. we have this shared interest and he's just casually working in things that, you know, allowed him to get really good at what he does. Yep. I'm going to pick up on a handful of them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to misapply a handful of others. But I'm going to start thinking about it and I'm going to start like, you know, seeing fishing through the lens that he sees fishing. Yeah, it's kind of like... I'm not going to become him. Right. It's a value trade, right? Where maybe you just say like, oh, you want to go fishing? Like, I'll rent out a boat. Right. Or whatever. It's like, okay, like now he's getting paid for like free fishing and like talks to you and like he gets to go on a boat and do fishing stuff. Yeah, you're not going to become a professional overnight. You're just shooting the shit over a common (laughs) interest. Yeah, he's not worried about, oh man, this guy's going to take my spot on the pro bass tour. He's like, I'm here to fish with with this bro. You know, this isn't this isn't just unique to to uh, poker. No, I, I was watching an interview with Barry Bonds. He never does interviews, but he did a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. I can't remember which one it was, and he was talking about how uh, hated he was in the locker room. Like everybody just thought he was a bad teammate, mm. and he was basically saying like, "Well, they thought I was a bad teammate because I kind of kept to myself, and when they wanted to talk baseball, I just wouldn't do it." He's like, I don't know when we're going to not be teammates anymore. Mm. I'm not going to. He's like, I did it one time. I talked about a, a, a certain pitch that was beating me. And a few months later, that guy was on the other team. And sure <laughs> enough, I got beat by that pitch. Yeah. He's like, never again. Mm, and it's like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. But it's like, you're very fucking bonds. Yeah. I have a psychological profile on you, Matt. Go on. I have this all figured out. Okay, I can't wait. Bro, bro moved his headphones up for this too. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Let me let's put the camera on me. I got this all broken down. <laughs> you, you, you get the. I saw my hair smirking. Here's my, here's my, like, my psych profile on Matthew Burke. He's got the matrix, so he has the monitors behind him. The reason you're introverted, buddy, is because you're too goddamn competitive. Now, okay. I was a firsthand person who experienced this. Okay. When we were in the Bahamas, we uh-huh. were dink, <laughs> just dinking back and forth in the living room, just like. Hey, this is fun. Like I'm hanging out with Matt and we're just dinking in the living room. And at one point I put up a dink just a little too high. I hope he hit you in the face for that. Do you think he fucking just gingerly dinked it back at me? Fuck no. He's supposed to move you. He spiked the shit out of this ball and went whistling by my ear. And I'm like, oh, like clearly this guy just has an on and an off switch as far as like being competitive. So I was, I was showing you what you're supposed to do (laughs) with a hanger. I I, I, I will never dink that high again. And you learned. Exactly. I was going to say, you should punish him by hitting him, hitting him with the ball. That's how I learned, Conrad. I'm well aware. Trial by fire. I was the one hitting you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. You're the worst. Yeah. I, I mean, if I didn't hit it hard there, you wouldn't even know that that shot was an option. Yeah. Well, I learned. <laughs> Sometimes the only way to learn is the hard way. That's for right. you, it was maybe getting hit. For some people in poker, it's money. For other people in other instances, yeah, it's other forms. A lot, lot of paid lessons out there. Right. right. There's other forms of payment than just money. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's value trades. We need to go back to the barter system. Back mm -hmm. back the way it used to be in the caveman days. Yeah. I mean, it kind of is, but then the vultures start vulturing. That's right. There's always going to be a vulture the out vultures there. Out. It's kind of funny that these... You're right. The, the rules are for the vultures. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that it's an infinite game environment that uh, people with finite mindsets play. So Right, it's like, don't get good too fast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose money. People who are capable of policing the game need to be those with the infinite game mindset because they're going to be able to mitigate the vultures, the finite game mindset people, you know what I mean? Kind of yeah. move the pieces in such a way so that even though there are finite minds in there, it's still an infinite game. Right, the, the finite people get plucked out of the environment. Well, most times. Well, not necessarily, they're just forced to cooperate. Right, because the, it's the difference between a competitive and a cooperative environment. Right, the finite people with person, finite mindsets are very competitive. People who understand that it's an infinite game will be will lend themselves to cooperation. You can be com you can be both at the same time. Right, and, the, like, and those are the ones that last. Right, because if you're trying to like weasel your way in through the finite way, it's like oh, you're doing what's good for you, not the environment. Yeah. The environment is going to be fed up with that at some point. At some point. Yeah. You gotta get the weasels out. You gotta get them out. You gotta get them out, send them to England with Chauncey. Chauncey will handle all the weasels. This weasel's going to Florida. <laughs> when do you leave? I leave tonight. Okay. You well, it's been Man, nice, uh, it's been nice, nice having you back. back. Dude, you back I, here. I, I like, I just want, I need to clone myself because mm -hmm. I like being here. Uh -huh. yeah. I like being here, but I also want to go to Florida. There's tournaments and then sure. I'm going to go on a cruise with my mom. Oh, Marty adorable. and Landy going on a cruise. That is fucking adorable. So yeah, I could have yeah. picked many people. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick my mom. Wow. Oh, I love you, mom. Man. <laughs> Shout out to Landon's mom. <laughs> yeah. you, know it's fucking, you know it's fucking Henry's name on WSOP? Landon's mom. Landon's it's Landon's mom. mom. I, I saw it. that name. I didn't know who it was. Yeah, it's Wait. button clicker. Fantastic. Oh, that's Amazing. fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking I just hilarious. see a... Uh, fuck, where's he from? Where's he from? Finland? Fin one, of, one of the Norwegian. He's from... Uh, no, no, not Norway. One well, yeah. of the Norwegian countries you were about to say? One of the say? Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Scandinavian <laughs> Scandinavian I think countries. it's Finland and it's just Landon's mom like playing like 1500 and yeah. like... You'd love to see it. Maybe one day. You'd love to see it. <laughs> Maybe one day she will. All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to go back to the noon time slot starting tomorrow uh, and then adjust accordingly for the days that I play Bellagio, which means there will be some 10 a.m.s, possibly some 6 p.m.s. We'll see how it all goes out or shakes out. Uh, quick reminder, we do have an academy coming up September 1st. We have a few seats available for that still. If you guys are interested, head over to academy.solveforwide.io. That's a three-day academy september 1st to the 3rd uh the mornings will be dedicated to strategy construction the evenings dedicated towards gameplay on rfid table where we do commentary in the back and let you know what you're doing well and what you're doing poorly that's going to do it for us uh there'll be a new episode of on second thought out i believe next week uh we're going to work on getting that out for you next monday so if you guys are interested in seeing all nine seasons of Poker Out Loud, as well as the accompanying show on Second Thought, head over to solverwide.io, sign up today. We'll be back tomorrow and the rest of the week. Less one Landon. We'll see you guys then. Later, squad. Peace, Peace you guys.